So, you've seen Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you want to know more about the historical accuracy and especially the inaccuracies. Well, you have come to the right place. A special historical anatomy of a movie starts now. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And talking movies right now are myself, I'm Christian Blatt, joined by the lovely Alexa, Alexa Capiello. Capiello. That's right. And obviously, if you're at home and you have an Alexa device, you might want to put her on mute. Because <laughs> when I say her name, she'll probably try, you know, the, well, this Alexa won't answer, but your home Alexa might answer questions about the Sharon Tate murders. You want to know how many times I get asked every day what the weather's like. Christian, you were supposed to be above this. <laughs> Alexa, what you. time is it? Oh my goodness. In any case, uh, there's so much to talk about, and we thought that it would be fun to have this conversation about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As I mentioned in the intro, the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. And there are, of course, a lot of... There's, they do a great job, and I would say that this is the same for Inglorious Bastards. Tarantino does a great job building up the historical context for his films and the connotation and the situations that the story is in, and then, of course, just completely changing it at yeah, a certain point. He likes to rewrite his history. But right up until the point, you're like, oh, this is great. This is really impressive. Yeah. So, as, as people who live in Los Angeles, uh, Alexa and I both have seen a lot of these places. I have been to El Coyote and also Casa Vega, but never in the same night. No. I think that would be a mistake. <laughs> I may have also taken a cab home from Casa Vega. Yeah, I live close to Casa Vega. Well, look at that. So, in any case, I think that uh, we'll be able to talk about some of the settings and some of the characters, but I think it's important to start with the biggest part of the movie, the biggest reveal, which is the what are known as the Sharon Tate murders, the Manson family murders. Mm-hmm. And this is not something that we, we planned. We did not plan we this, We did not guys. plan this, but today, Today's as we're talking right now, August 9th, it's the 50th death. anniversary of those murders. Yeah. So it just, coincidentally, this was when we could schedule it for, <laughs> and it is the 50th anniversary. I know it seems sketch, but we promise we but did not look, plan it, it that it's way. A thing that, it's something that people are talking a lot about, and... I think that even somebody with a casual understanding of history yeah. knows that that the way it's portrayed in the movie is not the way that it actually happened. Yeah, with flamethrowers and everything. Yeah, I mean. well, the the flamethrower, oddly enough, is it? No, no. <laughs> but in any case, and I think that as the movie was unfolding, I started to get the sense like, okay, this is going to be a little bit different. Now, what I thought was going to happen was that they were going to they were going to either go to Rick Dalton, that's Leonardo DiCaprio's character. I thought they were going to go to his house after, or maybe they were going to go to both. You know, I wasn't really sure. But then at a certain point, you're like, oh yeah, no, okay, this is. Uh, but as you watched the movie, Alexa, what was your understanding of the Sharon Tate murders? Um, I had a, a vague understanding of it. I mean, I, I knew that she had been murdered by the Manson family. Correct. Um, and I knew, obviously, that Margot Robbie was portraying her. Um, I had I didn't have a, a, a wealth of knowledge regarding her career or anything, um, but I did know that she was brutally murdered, and um, I did know that that was going to happen that night. Right. Um, 
However, I did not know that they were going to instead be visiting uh, Rick Dalton's house right. instead and come to their own uh, grisly end. And I, I thought that Quentin Tarantino just did such a great job with that. I, I loved it. Yeah. I was laughing to the point where tears were coming down my face. And um, the scene at the very end when he's talking to Sharon yeah. in, in the little voice box <laughs> yeah. was Funny, but also heartbreaking at the same time. It's very heartbreaking because it makes you think about the the what if. And we'll go into the the specifics of that night. But the the most significant thing that you can think about, obviously, apart from the fact that these lives would not have been lost, Sharon Tate would have given birth to, I believe it was a son. Mm -hmm. They named him posthumously. And... The the most the interesting what if from the end of that movie is how different would Roman Polanski's life have been had mm-hmm. his wife, uh, who was pregnant with his child, not been brutally murdered. Right. And you wonder, certainly his life could have been exactly the same and he could have, uh, well, I guess raped an, a, a minor mm-hmm. in uh, the late 70s. Oddly enough, just a little footnote to that, at Jack Nicholson's house when Jack was away, so... Way to way to be a house guest. Way to go, Roman. And way to go. So you you know you just all you can do is question what his state of mind was like for even now, fifty years later. I mean, you know? would he or would he not have done it had his wife and child not gotten brutally murdered? We don't know. Yeah. Um, but as I was talking to you about earlier, I just I feel like you have to keep in mind his mindset at the time, which was, I mean, God, how do you how do you come back from? from somebody you love and your child being brutally murdered in such a horrific way. And just to to think about the motives of that is just insane. And then on top of that, thinking about how... How you know he made a choice later on in his life that would prevent him from coming ever coming back to the U.S. So right, yeah. yeah. I mean, he hasn't been back since uh, I believe 1978, and uh, you know he won an Academy Award. Yeah, it's for unfortunate because he's such a talent. Right, but... but then of course the other side of it is it's unfortunate because he's never had to answer for his crime. You know, yeah, and there you and go. the viewpoint on Hollywood and from Hollywood in 2019 is a lot different than it was in 1989. You know, I think that there's a lot more sensitivity to these issues and for whatever reason he's been able to live in in France and in Switzerland and these are countries carefully chosen and wherever he films movies to be like Eastern Europe places that he would not be extradited to the United States it's so that you know this movie of course much less about that but although we do see Roman uh, briefly in the movie I do wonder how Tarantino was able to portray such people like for instance Sharon Tate how he was able sure. to portray Roman Polinsky and and uh, so many other famous uh celebrities he was able to do so and I I do wonder how he was able to how they greenlit this I mean I'm sure Sharon Tate's sister did uh, have a lot of say in what he was able to do in the film. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's an interesting question because a lot of times you do, when you're dealing with public figures, you don't have to get their permission. Like Oliver Stone did a very unflattering movie about George W. Bush. We didn't need to get anybody's permission. So, it, you know, somebody like Charles Manson, you don't need to get uh, permission from the estate. I'm assuming he has an estate. But as as we were talking, you pointed out that some of the 
look, these are all terrible people. They committed crimes and they're murderers, but they did change the names of some of the other yes, participants in did. the Tate murders. So I looked up on my uh, yes. MDB. Um, here we go. Shmur, 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 shmur. Okay, so Tex Watson was played by Austin Butler, um, who did a great job, in my opinion. Yes. And then Susan Atkins and Patricia Krenwickel and Linda Caspian. Now, Mm -hmm. Susan and Patricia were the two women with the knives that came in and, and stabbed those people to death. And Linda Caspian was portrayed by uh, Mia. What's her name? Mia? Yeah, Mia, no, I'm sorry. Maya, Maya, Maya Hawk. So, so that's Ethan e- Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman's, Uma Thurman's daughter. daughter. Yeah. And so, of course, we know that Quentin Tarantino loves Uma Thurman. And so he put her in the movie. I mean, I'm, Maya's had a great career. She's already in Stranger Things. I don't know if you've seen Stranger I Things. I haven't seen the current season. Oh, uh, well. But also, you know, in, just in terms of the Manson family, you have uh, Kevin Smith's daughter uh, plays one of them. You know, and some of them are, are unidentified. Uh, and they're sorry, there was another one too. But it's like it's several daughters. You know, like show business daughters that are playing some of the uh, Rumor Willis is, oh. is one as well. So you get a few of, the, of those sort of uh, oh, characters in there. Rumor Willis was one of who? She was the, one of the flower children. I believe or? so. I know Nancy she's in Fowler? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have I know Lena uh, and Lena Dunham, Dunham was Gypsy, who yeah. is sort of like look. I don't know how to classify her role, but she's like the den mother to all of these yeah. like crazy and Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning was Squeaky from Squeaky, yeah, right. Which, by the way, I did when I was watching the movie. I did not recognize Dakota Fanning. Uh, yeah, I, that I was later where I'm I like, did? oh, that's who that was. Yeah, but I just hadn't seen her in a while. You know, Which, I've seen Elle Fanning in a lot more right. than I have. So there's look Tarantino movie. It's always just full of interesting casting, and you know, uh, and in this movie you had sort of the interesting thing where you have people playing real life characters. But let's um, get back to the actual right. So uh, it's portrayed that it said that she portrayed. So Tex Watson, Susan Atkins and Patricia Krenwickel were the three that carried out the actual uh, murders. And um, Katie. So I think Katie is supposed to be uh, Susan or Patricia, one of them. And she's portrayed by Madison Beattie. And Sadie is uh, what she's credited for on IMDb is uh, Mikey Madison. And for whatever reason, they kept Tex... Texas name. In I think there. he's an, he he's a very well known figure. I think for a lot of people, when they see the character of Tex, you know, they ride off after to go get Tex. People know who Tex is because right. he was involved. But and, the two women, right? I mean, the, yes, these they women carried out the murders, right? But you have women like Leslie Van Houten who are from the LaBianca murders, which were the next night. So these are people. Your Squeaky From is probably the best known. These women, of course, have a terrible role in history. I guess that the thinking was that you could for whatever reason and maybe they just called them these like they had these were their hippie names yeah you know maybe i mean maybe that's the thinking on tarantino's part but it's just interesting it's um, very interesting and but then, the, the one thing the one question that i wondered was in the movie we see someone drive away right. who doesn't participate and, that's and a, i had never heard that about the murder so i looked and what did you find about that um so that was supposed to be i think i'm not tarantino um uh, but i think that was supposed to be linda caspian who if you guys are familiar or not familiar she uh was the only one with a license at the time so she was the only one who could could drive a vehicle and i think she was supposed to be their getaway driver mm-hmm. and she was portrayed by uh, uh maya hawk and um 
so she was in the car and she said, you know, she was nervous, didn't want to do it, and then she 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 wound up driving off in Quentin right. Tarantino's version. But in this version, she st- stood behind, uh, saw the murders taking place. She was outside of the house while the murders were taking place, and then um, you know drove drove them away. Um, but she actually is the one that gave the testimony against Charles Manson. Text and everyone that committed those crimes. Yeah, because so. the interesting thing is that no one was arrested in the immediacy after these murders were committed, mm-hmm. neither the Tate nor the LaBianca murders. And there were some clear connections, but obviously evidence gathering and lab analysis 50 years ago is not what it is today. So it was the simple fact that out of the Spawn Ranch where the Manson family was holed up, they were basically running a stolen car ring. And that's how they were able to start bringing in members of the Manson family. And then they were able to start to get this information. And I believe it was Linda who basically just pointed right at Tax and then he was on the run, but uh, he was eventually brought in. And it's a... Let's see, it's almost four months after the murders that they they find them. So it's not necessarily some of the... Obviously, people who spend a lot of time focused on reading and, you know, there have been films about these murders. You don't assume that it took that long because we know who all these people were. But it was was unknown and it's just months of people throughout Los Angeles being terrified that, you know, well, when's the next one of these going to happen? And, you know, you can always ask the question why there weren't, you know, dozens more or or anything like that if they were so determined to bring about uh, Helter Skelter and the... The race war that would go with it was yep. really what he was focused on. Uh, let's talk about the house, which that's a kind of a great shot early in the film when you see that it's the with the one hundred thousand block of Cielo Drive, and the the house, the Tate house, is, is no longer there. But it was only uh, ripped down about five years ago, I think. And so, and the the new house that's there is not one o o five o Cielo Drive. No, I, think I have it's... that it was destroyed in nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. See, I thought it was only five years ago, but I guess that's twenty five years ago. Listen, I have a whole dictionary you out do. here right now. And the interesting <laughs> thing is is that. The tragic thing about this is that Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski had only been renting that house for a few months. Mm -hmm. They moved in there and they were just the last uh, resident of it at that time. But they it could have been anyone in that house if it had been any time earlier. Other famous people who lived there, uh, you know, this is decades before, but uh, Cary Grant and Diane Cannon lived there, Henry Fonda. The uh, and so when Charles Manson was familiar with the house was Terry Melcher, who, if you know the scene in the movie, he comes looking for Terry, who, oddly enough, Terry Melcher is the son of Doris Day, but also was a music producer. And his girlfriend was Candace Bergen, who, apart from being in a million movies, most people know is Murphy Brown. So they were the most recent occupants right before then. And this was just a matter of Manson. You see him come to the house and looking for them, finds that they don't live there anymore. So the site of this murder and the LaBianca murders the next night are just places he'd been before. And he just picked an address of a place he'd been before instead of, you know, it wasn't like, oh, that actress Sharon Tate lives in this house. Yeah. Let's get a lot she of media attention targeted. by doing this. No, it's it just, just whomever was in that house. Yeah. And 
That's uh, and then the occupants of that house. It's very interesting because you were talking about a few people who could have been there that night. I know one of them is that Quincy Jones had the music producer, the musician, had been invited, yes. but he ended up doing something else that night. But uh, there was also someone else who I remember Steve you said Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen, who factors into this movie. He was even in the movie, played by Damian Lewis yes. in this film. Yeah, he was invited over that night by yeah. Sharon Tate. Said, "Hey, come on over. I'm having a." couple friends over and he had caught the eye of some woman at a at a party or bar prior to that as said, steve mcqueen would by the way he would yeah. do uh you know as he is hollywood's cool guy um or was back then and he decided not to go and narrowly escaped a gruesome death yeah so it's uh you know and, and wasn't he the one who mentioned how beautiful sharon tate was and how he was like kind of no there's someone who talks about you mean in the film someone yeah, in the makes, playboy mansion yeah well he's having a conversation with a, a woman and i forget who i don't know who that's supposed to be that he's talking to but yes i think he, I think he does one. say that yeah. yeah now the uh the interesting thing is about the character of rick dalton in general he is not based on an actual person but he's inspired by an actor named Christopher Jones who Tarantino very much wanted to work with. He asked him to be in Pulp Fiction as the the role, the role of Zed, I believe. And uh, Christopher Jones did not even return Quentin Tarantino's call. Obviously, this is before... you know Tarantino would have only made Reservoir Dogs at this point. I don't know if it had been a few years later, maybe he would have returned his call. But this is a guy who just walked away from acting in 1972. And if you were to look at his IMDb, I won't break it down, he, he did a TV Western, he started doing some films in Europe. This is an actor that Tarantino is a huge fan of. And he's not particularly well-known, is the interesting thing. But... You when you re- start reading about it, you're like, oh, okay, I kind of, I kind of get this. You know, I can kind of see that this is this is something that you know he he was at least inspired by. But uh, he he has uh, since passed on. Uh, that was definitely in 2014. But uh, just in reading about this, I thought it was I thought it was kind of interesting. And that's not something that I'm hearing a lot of uh, a lot of coverage about. I don't know if that's anything that you came across or if no, this... I actually found some articles saying that he um, based. Rick off of Clint Eastwood's mm-hmm. career. Yeah, I think I think that's the 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 big name is Clint Eastwood. Yes. But I, I would say that uh, some of the specifics because Clint Eastwood didn't really hit the lull that that Rick Dalton yes, hits. Correct. You know, and, However, and Christopher did, Jones sort of did. Yeah, he did have uh, some renewed success. Um, you know, of course, westerns were going a little downhill at the time. Sure. Uh, so he did have that kind of renewed success in uh, Italy, um, doing westerns out right. there. So that's I think that's, that's the I think that's the element parallel for sure. there between him and Rick. Um, before we move on from the the tape murders in general. Uh, uh, you were telling me something I'd never heard before. This, this. So they were actually Roman and Sharon were associated with Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah. And yes. the crazy theory. And look, you know, Roman Polanski, you know, had to go through something horrific. We're just talking about it at this point in his life, and. For him not thinking rationally, I think it's a little bit excusable, but I thought that this was fascinating. So yeah. tell me what, what he thinks might have happened, where at this point he thought might have happened. So apparently Bruce Lee lost a pair of glasses over at um, their house, Sharon Tate's and Roman Polanski's house. And um, because of these lost pair of glasses, uh, Roman Polanski thought that 
that Bruce Lee may have carried out them the murders because because right. he's a you know he's a martial arts genius and he could have easily killed these people if he wanted to although I don't think he would have used knives no and <laughs> I, you know I, yeah I mean I I think that uh, there's there's very little to to actually point to that and just the fact that there's glasses there right. is such an odd thing but anyway to they think. they did find a pair of glasses at the scene of the crime yeah. and. Polanski went so far as to make certain that they were not Bruce Lee's glasses by going to an optometrist and making sure that Bruce Lee's prescription was not the same as the glasses found at the scene of the crime. That's insane. Yes. No, I know. It, 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 it absolutely is. And, you know, there's there's an actual, this is a great transition away from the grisly murder portion of the film. And uh, although, you know, honestly, the the graphic nature of the murders of these members of the Manson family is, is not you know it's just like watching Hitler get murdered in Inglourious Bastards you don't Which feel bad you don't feel so bad for them at all was, you know yeah. I, I what a creative use of a can of dog food know. you know and just a little for the dog you yep. know just all of that stuff was was so well done and of course the flamethrower i know <laughs> and i love when he's talking to the guy through the gate i forget which i think that's that's uh jay uh, sebring he's talking to him through the gate and he's like he knows the movie that the flamethrower is from he's like yeah i have it. i still have it <laughs> it's just that stuff is just like all right that's that look let's have a little fun with history but one of it, it to me it's a fun moment when cliff booth that's brad pitt's character he flashes back to the interaction that he had with Bruce Lee on set. And there's been some negative reaction to the sequence as it plays out in the movie. But apparently, as originally written, uh, Brad Pitt's character actually beats him up. And even Brad Pitt was like, I can't, I, it's Bruce Lee. I, I can't, I can't be really? Bruce Lee. Really? Yeah, Bruce, I, I, I read Brad that. Brad was like, no, I can't do this? He didn't, he felt bad about it. You really? Know? He didn't want to do that to Bruce so Lee. So the exact opposite of what happened in Fast and Furious, <laughs> where Vin, uh, Vin Diesel and, uh, well, his other name, well, and the, the other guy well, and was then, like, we need to beat up everyone. Well, and, and then also, because that, that's how I wanted to tie that into right now, is because oh, really? in the present day, yes, you, you have Vin Diesel and you have The Rock, and oh, yeah. they have have very specific contracts where they can only be hit X number of times in a film, X number of times in a scene. They can't be beaten up. And Bruce Lee had a an incident like this in, in 1966 he he guest starred on an episode of the Batman TV series and cuz it was a crossover with the Green Horn, Hornet where he played Kato and they wanted Robin to beat up Cato, and he's like, I'm not getting beat up by Robin. Yeah. So they had to come to a decision where it was really a draw. Although, if you uh, if you speak to Burt Ward, he will tell you that he beat up uh, he beat up Bruce Lee on TV. <laughs> but it was a, it was a huge point of contention that it was like I'm not getting beaten up by Robin. <laughs> so it goes back to to that level. And I thought that the way the scene plays out is so funny, and it's something that's in the trailer. He's like, the, you know, the fact that his fists are registered as a weapon, and if I kill someone with them, you. Know, you know, the police economy is like, well, yeah, of course you will. It's called it's called manslaughter. So I thought that the the interaction was funny and it's a fun scene. Yeah, I think everybody needs to just calm down. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. This is not all realistic. It's never meant to be. Brad, it's not it's not a biopic. <laughs> yeah, Brad fine. Pitt, his dog, and a flamethrower take out some of the Manson family. So it's clearly not a historical document, which was why we thought it would be fun to do this show, is right. to kind of talk about some of this stuff. But the so I guess Bruce Lee's daughter is upset 
And look, in this day and age, the fact that he got beaten up by a white man is is part of it. I, I don't know if it had been another another kung fu master, maybe it would have been okay. But the idea that Bruce Lee got beaten up by anybody, he didn't really get beaten up. He just got thrown around a couple of times. Yeah. The fight is stopped. Yeah, you know? nobody so, wins the nobody fight. Wins it's the a fight. draw. Yeah, I would say that the real loser is that car that uh, <laughs> that Cliff dented with Bruce Lee. But I think Brad Pitt is the loser. He got fired. So yeah, you know, that's true. He end. didn't get to uh, keep working. And so, also, Bruce Lee, you, you, did you mention that he did actually train Sharon? Yeah, for, for the movie that she goes to see, yeah. the one with Dean Martin, that I actually forget the name of it now. Um, uh, but you can let us know in the I've, chat. Yeah. I'll, I'll find it. Uh, I don't want to take the time to look for it. But yeah, and I thought when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, well, that's weird. I guess they're going to have us believe that Bruce Lee trained Sharon Tate. For the Wrecking Crew. For the, the Wrecking, wrecking crew. crew. Thank you, Jeff Graham in the booth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, a movie that I don't even know if you'd be able to see right now. And, uh, you know, I think that that's kind of the interesting thing about this being the alternate take on history is we spend so much time with Sharon Tate in this film going to the movies and just, you know, buying the book for for Roman. And it's really, I think, to lull us into the expectation of like, just remember how tragic this yeah, is, what happens to her. Yeah. And then she doesn't. Yeah. And I, look, I know it's Quentin Tarantino and anything can happen, but. I through most of the movie I was expecting to that to be carried out and maybe you know in some way that Rick Dalton overhears some of it or they, like I said they go to his house second something like that. I did not think that that was what was going to happen. So it's it, I think it's well done and let's talk about that that's the other controversy about surrounding the movie something that Quentin Tarantino if you want to google something fun go on YouTube and look for Quentin Tarantino gets mad at reporters or, <laughs> sorry interviewers and ask him like don't you think Sharon Tate could have had more lines and I would say sorry Margot Robbie playing Sharon Tate obviously I would say that the way she's used in the movie, she could not really have had too much more dialogue. However, she's a plot device in the film. But that's it. Y- yeah, but you feel that that's that question could be asked a different way. No, right? I, I do. I don't personally believe that um, Sharon Tate needed more lines in this movie. I think that her uh, her being in the film, as much as she was, served its point, which was. <laughs> You know, she was there to to show Hollywood at a certain time, and she was there to show the tragedy of what happened, and she was also there to uh, divert from, (laughs) you know, divert to what Tarantino's real history or his own history was going to be at the end. Uh, She was was great. Margot Robbie did a wonderful job with her, but um, I thought that he could have taken away from the amount of time that he spent with Rick and Cliff, uh, you know, developing their characters gosh there were so many scenes where i just thought dragged so long and you know i thought basically that he could have taken away from developing those characters to the extent that he chose to develop them right and putting some time into another made-up female character at the time that could have contributed to the story somehow in some way. Make, make, make a strong female character in Hollywood. Right, and we were talking before the before we started here, and to me, the strongest female character in the movie is the little girl that he meets on set. She has some of the best work to do on screen. She has a, a very distinct impact on Rick Dalton's life. And, I mean, also, I thought she was great, that little girl. I thought that she did a great job. But... 
other than seeing Kurt Russell's wife, that character, I believe her name was Janet, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it, she breaks up the fight with Bruce Lee and we see her one other time. There are not a lot of female characters in the movie. Obviously, you have the host of Manson's Girls. Right. But for the most part, I would say that uh, Lena Dunham has some good lines as Gypsy. You get a little, you get some good stuff from Squeaky Fromm as played by Dakota Fanning, mm-hmm. but you don't get a lot, I, I would say, you know, and I think that that's a criticism you'll hear about, you know, a lot of movies, but something that you've heard before about Tarantino to the extent that he's livid when you ask him about it. Right. So I mean, clearly he, it's something he's heard before. Yeah. And it's true. He doesn't really have a lot of strong female characters in his movies. I would say that I think Kill uh, Bill's the exception because yes. Uma Thurman's character is one of his strongest characters overall. But, right, um, but, but I want to say in terms of development, in terms of development, in terms of uh, giving them full arcs, uh, yeah, probably just Uma, Uma Thurman's character. I mean, in Glorious Bastards, uh, the female in that too. Sure, I forgot her name, but. She was, de- it was. It's always a, around uh, revenge, though. It's always yes. regarding an, a revenge plot with females. I don't understand why. Well, I think that you know he's a fan of a very specific time in Hollywood. I mean, if you think about, you know, he worked in a video store in the '80s, so a lot of what he's seen is that's kind of those were the best female characters. You know, he's a tremendous fan of the Grindhouse era, as evidenced by that project, but oh, also yeah. black exploitation, and you know, just. Look, he sat in a movie, he sat in a video store all day, so yeah. it was whatever was there is is what he watched. So that's why he has this affinity for it. But that doesn't make the criticism any less real. Right. That there aren't particularly strong female characters, and the ones who are the best, you don't see that much. Like really, you have one really good squ- squeen with squeaky. scene with squeaky from squeaky from. You try saying that at home. <laughs> scene with squeaky squeaky squeen with. I'm gonna squeaky. go out on a limb here and say that he could have developed uh, Linda Caspian a little bit more. Um, so uh, yeah, Maya Hawke's character. I mean, sure, she just ran off. Obviously, yeah, she, she did just run off. But it's almost like why did she run off? You know, and they could have given a little bit more to the the Manson girls look, there. And, and also, here's the thing that. We know that there's a four-hour cut of this movie. The running time for those of us who saw it in the theater, I believe it's 2.40, maybe 2.45 with credits. He has a four-hour cut he's thought about bringing over to Netflix after the the theatrical release. So who knows what's in there? You know, maybe there's going to be, you know, maybe there's more work for some of the female characters. There's also what I thought was very funny in the credits was uh, Tim Roth was credited, but then in parentheses it mentioned that he was cut from the film. <laughs> so whatever it was that he did, we could see at, at some other point. I thought that that was a that was a nice touch. Uh, obviously, we get uh, some of some of the gang, the usual characters. Character actors that we see some of the some of his friends we see Michael Madsen in this movie. I like seeing Kurt Russell, and my friend that I saw it with asked me a great question that I hadn't considered, and I'll see what uh, Alexa thinks. And for those of you watching live on the chat, we'll uh, check out what you have to say. That Kurt Russell is also the narrator. Now, do you think? That Kurt Russell as a narrator is just some omniscient narrator voiced by Kurt Russell? Or is it his character from the movie narrating it? I don't have a good answer. I was just wondering what you think. Uh, you know, I didn't really think about it at the time. Yeah. But I think the more interesting choice is that he's his character, not Kurt Russell. Yeah, that he's just like, of course, like the, like his character, Randy the stuntman, is going to know all this stuff happened. He's right. going to know these guys really well. I think that's and, what Tarantino was after. And he, of course, he refers to, in his conversation with Rick, 
one of my favorite flashbacks in the movie, which is when Cliff is on the boat with his wife and he's holding a gun and she is nagging him and berating him. And we don't see that he shoots her. I think whether or not I'm going to assume he shot her, but we don't actually see it. And I think like not even hearing the sound, you know, just the uh, yeah, you can figure out what happened next. (laughs) I thought was a nice way to tell that story. Uh, so there's obviously a lot of little touches for a bygone era of Hollywood. It is over the credits, but one of the things that we see is Rick doing a first-person commercial for cigarettes, mm-hmm. which you used to see a lot more on television, obviously. I mean, and this was for his uh, for his television show. So you would see that. Like, there's actual, like, uh, Lucy and Ricky in character talking about their favorite cigarettes. They're, if you Google these on YouTube, you can see shorts. They're black and white of the Flintstones talking about their favorite cigarettes. cigarettes. Not Pebbles Ooh, and Bam Bam, fortunately. <laughs> but Fred Fred was a Chesterfields man or whatever it was. I actually don't remember what brand it was. So you can find all these things out there. And it was so commonplace, but I thought it was so funny that they actually filmed one. And I thought the, yeah. Leo did a great job because obviously when they cut, he like immediately talks about how much he hates the cardboard cutout. <laughs> which, I, I, you know, little, little touches like that, I think, are what make Tarantino movies so enjoyable. Honestly, yeah. I mean, when's the last time we got to see anything historical like this. I know obviously Tarantino rewrote history near the end, but it was so cool seeing 1960s, 70s Hollywood. And and that's the interesting thing when you live somewhere like here that, you know, look, I I grew up in New York State and a lot of things just look different now because things get so worn down by the weather and the elements and just change. But when you go around Los Angeles, a lot of things do still look the same as they did back then. Obviously, the, the Tate house isn't there anymore, but you have the the Spawn Movie Ranch yep, is still is still there, and, and they even modeled the uh, the truck over there. I think right. they had it in the uh, actual movie itself. So right, and that was uh, that was a great little scene by Bruce Dern there as uh, as as Mr. Spawn. I thought that was yeah. great, and you know, uh, I as I've said, I've been to both Casa Vega and El Coyote, which are both still open and both still st- uh, serving very strong margaritas. <laughs> And the, uh, yeah, actually, you can go back to that one, Jeff. We saw that they had Cliff living behind the Van Nuys drive in, which this photo, for those watching on YouTube, you'll see that this is, of course, not from 1969 because it has Die Hard with a Vengeance and True Lies on there. But this is uh, from right before it closed in the late 90s. It turned into a school now. Because it's not there anymore, they actually filmed it in uh, Paramount. California, which is no relation to this studio. That's just the name of the town. Uh, so, because there are still a few drive-ins uh, scattered throughout Southern California. That was one of my favorite shots in the film when they went just, over the drive-in sign yeah. and then went back down and we saw where, where Cliff Booth lived right behind it. And, the, the, you know, it's arguable as to whether or not anybody could live right behind a drive-in, but it still looked it's so still cool. so cool. And it's it's just a tribute to... To Tarantino tributing, uh, you know, all of film. Like, he just loves movies. Yeah. You can tell. Every time you watch a film of his, you can tell just how much he loves movies. And most of his films are are just that. They are just tributes to all the films that he's and, loved over And he the loves years. movie stars. And as yep. we mentioned, a movie star in the film is Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. But there's also a compelling sequence that I looked around on the internet. I couldn't find a still of the way it's used in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But there is a still that we do have for those watching on YouTube that you can see, which is the scene from The Great Escape. And 
I thought that the way that they replaced Steve McQueen with Leonardo DiCaprio looked so great. At this in this day and age, we've seen a lot of that now, but it still looked so cool to have him kind of interacting in the scene the way it was. But it, uh, I, I thought, it, I thought it looked really cool, and it was such a, it was such a fun little bit of backstory. Just the way that he's like, no, 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 I, ne- I never came close to being the greatest escape. <laughs> and then he remembers. And if you look, Alexa can see it now, and everybody watching at home, it's just like, oh yeah, they just uh, put him in that jacket, they did. and they just green screened it out. And the interesting thing that I was, I read two interesting things about this. One. It was not that expensive to license the scene from the movie, which wow. I thought of, a movie like The Great Escape I thought would have thought would have been tremendously expensive. And in trying to look for the image of Leonardo DiCaprio inserted into the film, Tarantino was saying as recently as May that he'd actually taken this scene out. He liked it a lot, but he felt like it didn't work. Clearly, by the time it came out, he's like, oh, who cares? Two hours, 40 minutes. You know, let's just let's put everything in that I like, which I thought it was fun. And I loved the scene that's from the T.J. Lancer pilot. It's so long. Yeah, it does not need to be that long, but I enjoyed it. Yep. I thought you got to see Rick Dalton as an actor, and that yeah. was the great moment for and the the little cool. girl to just be like, "That's the best acting I've ever seen." Yeah, and I mean, it was all about him coming back from feeling like he's been in an actor's slump in a bit for a very long time, and that was a cool, cool uh, moment to cheer for for Leo's character at that point. I do want to mention though, yes, please. Uh, so there's a director uh, in the movie. Uh, I think it's for. I think it is for Lancer. For Lancer, yeah. It's Sam Wanamaker. Right. Wanamaker? I hope I'm saying it right. I think you but did say not, it right, yes. Um, he's a real actor turned director. In the film, he's played by Nicholas Hammond, uh, who is TV's Spider-Man in the 1970s. The 1978 Spider-Man, yes. Yeah. Which is... Uh, you know this. If anybody, big... who's, anybody who's a fan of Spider-Man knows how terrible that show is. <laughs> it, is one, it is one of the worst. But you know what I'm going to bet? There was a VHS compilation of, quote-unquote, the best of, the live-action Spider-Man. I guarantee that uh, Tarantino saw that dozens of times when he worked in that he video like, store. I need Sam Wenneker yeah. to play this part just because yeah. I like him so much. He's like, much. I, need, I, need that, I need that Spider-Man, exactly. So, yeah, and there's a... There, so what are some of the other interesting things in there? You have a lot of character yeah, notes. Yeah, so that, Cliff, Cliff uh, yeah. by the way, I don't know about you, but uh, Brad Pitt in this movie... Not only was he a hunk, but... <laughs> well, thank you for saying what he I've been was. waiting to say the whole movie, he the was, whole show. He was just such... He did such a wonderful job with this this character, yeah. and he was so likable. And uh, apparently his character, uh, Cliff Booth, um, the main source of his character was Hal Needham. 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 There yeah. we go. But who it's was, spelled Needham, so yeah, need but it's Hal Needham. I do need yeah. some ham, too. Uh, who was Burt Reynolds' stuntman. Right. Um, and I love I love Burt. Uh, I actually trained with him for a little bit. He's great. He was, a, he was a great guy. He really I, was. I didn't um, know that about you. That's fantastic. Yeah, so he was a, uh, he was a Burt's stuntman, and he became a successful film director, yeah. including directing Burt in the film Hooper. Uh, where Bert played an aging stuntman whose unflappable attitude yes. in the face of danger bears more than a little resemblance to Cliff Booth. Yeah, there's there's not you know there there are a handful of stuntmen, stunt people turned uh, actors and directors and things. But there's not a lot. But Hal Needham's you know one of the ones that uh, people know. Uh, and you know we've referenced a lot of the locations in 
in and around Hollywood that they used. Uh, Musso and Franks is one of them. And, you know, I think that they did a great job. But like I, I said, I remember when they were filming this movie that there were a lot of closures on Sunset Boulevard because all they really needed to do, Sunset or Hollywood, they just, you just need to drive down and a lot of the marquees look the same. Some of them you just have to change the lettering, you know. Uh, some of them are, are closed. but That was legit. It, my One of my favorite parts of just the watching them drive watching, around. Watching them drive around, you know, Hollywood back then. Yeah, there's a point the set decoration. when Cliff Brilliant. picks up uh, who we later find out his name, Pussycat, uh, as a hitchhiker. The on-ramp they get on is actually right near my house in, in Burbank, and I was like, wow, they really did a great job in dressing it to not look at all like it does now. And, then and this is a perfect time to pick up, uh, put up the night for day shot. Yes, I wanted to get to that. Uh, so perfect. Sorry. No, 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 I'm glad uh, you brought it up. The highway shot. Um, so they, they, they closed down a highway at night. This is, this is a, this was a common practice back in the day. They would shoot a lot of, um, night scenes, excuse me, day scenes at night, um, in movies like, like Home Alone 2. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, that was because of child labor laws, but, you know, Macaulay Culkin could not be... Right, and we don't actually have an image for the, the highway scene, no, right? We do. I, I actually sent one. Did you? Because yes. I, don't, I don't see it. That's yes. the problem. Do oh, you see it here? Because <laughs> oh. I don't. In any case... Either way, they, it, shot, they, they shut down a whole highway okay. at night, and they put up, uh, you know, some some uh, black screens as well and I mean that just the fact that they could shut down a whole highway to yeah. shoot a film in LA right I, and this was this was the 90 near Marina del Rey I saw it in your email but yeah. I realized that I didn't have the picture only now that we're on the air it's and, okay don't yeah. worry about it it's totally fine but just the fact that they would do something like that yeah. for the film I mean Quentin Tarantino he pulled out all and, the stops and, and look was, filming day for night was very common there's a, f- a film that a lot of people see in film school called day for night and you would think that you could just film day for night so easily. Why wouldn't you do that, creators of Game of Thrones? I don't know. I know. Wouldn't it just be so much easier to film in the daytime instead of filming at night and being like, let's light this scene with candles? Oh, in any so case, frustrating but, that scene. <laughs> yeah, shots, shots fired. fired. Exactly. Uh, in any case, uh, there, look, we could we could really break down the uh, the his, the history and, and all of this. And there's so much more to really talk about. And uh, I'll uh, look over in the chat in a moment. But I did want to give uh, Alexa and I just a moment here. Just overall, we've talked a little bit about it. It's been interspersed throughout the course of this show. Some of your overall thoughts about just the movie, what you liked the most about it, anything that you haven't gotten to talk about yet that you want to make sure to uh, get to reference. I mean, again, I, I like I mentioned, I just love the world building of it all. I thought Quentin Tarantino did such a wonderful job taking us back in time. And uh, I love movies like that. I love movies that that spend time talking about uh, what could have happened, and then also when they say a, based on a real story. All that I love. Most of the time, I love movies about that because I, I like yeah. real events. And know? I also love when they use, like in Fargo, uh, based on a true story. And it's like, oh, no, it's actually not based yeah. on a true story. <laughs> but when they, you're told there that. There are liberties they no, take with that. But when you're told that, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, this is great. this could have happened. This this could have been a real thing. Um, and so, obviously, the, the historical aspect of it all. Um, Hollywood back then, um, I loved seeing Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. She was such a perfect fit for that role um and then also i mean in terms of character development that's i mean the 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 buddy story between brad pitt's character and leonardo dicaprio's yeah. character i mean uh i i know um you know 
I, I've been fortunate enough to know uh, a, a lot of actors out here. Some of them are, are further on in their careers and have good relationships with their stunt people or you know uh, people that help them along in their career. And that that relationship that they had the two the two Brad Pitt and Leo it was a very real relationship and and something that I've seen. Uh, here in Hollywood, and I thought that he did such a wonderful job writing you those just, two characters. You can just see how that would happen, like yeah. legitimately, because your stuntman's going to be around with you a lot. Yeah, and Brad Pitt and, building him up. It's okay, yeah. dude. I'm here with you. I'm here with you to you know. And it's such a hard job to be an actor, right? And Leo's just going through it right now. He doesn't know where his career is going to go, right? And uh, it's just a very real thing for a lot of actors. And he did such a wonderful job writing those characters, and. Last shout out. I loved the Italian wife that he chose. She was great. She was I, wonderful. I was saying this to Alexa before we started, that I love that she got in a shot at one of the Manson girls, you yeah. know, because she could have just screamed the whole time, stayed in the back room or, you know. I I wasn't sure what was going to happen to any of the people in the house. You know, I like the fact that they had Cliff, you know, on the having smoked the acid cigarette because <laughs> clearly he's not going to be 100% right. himself. Because if he was, I don't think he the scene would have lasted that long. Exactly. And I love the way he's recounting it later. He's like, yeah, I'm the devil and I'm going to do some devil shit. But what he <laughs> what Tex says in the movie is actually, you know, what, what he said. Happened, yeah. yeah. So I thought it was interesting that the, you know, a, a phrase that's lived on in infamy like that the way in this reality it's just like yeah I don't know I'm going to do some devil shit I don't know what he said <laughs> I, I, I just the, the matter of fact way that he played that one thing that uh, I think people are talking about how he's in the movie but uh, I have to give some credit to Al Pacino as Marvin oh, Schwartz yes. who look there are so many people Look, that's a great. There's a lot of different ways to do a Hollywood agent, especially from that era. But he's sure he's looking how to cash in for himself. But he knows how to help this guy's career, and he's like, he's obviously he he knows that he's got Rick Dalton over here. He's got his Italian friends over there. He wants to bring them together because yes, he's going to make some money. But he's like, it's a great fit, and I just love the way he plays it. And it, you know, just sort of the the old school Hollywood agent planted at the at the restaurant. If you want to get a hold of him, you go to Musso and Frank's. That's where you're going to find him. I mean, this is all stuff yeah. that probably has happened. Before, yeah, it's so. exactly. It's just, and, and I love that he's Marvin Schwartz and not <laughs> Marvin Schwartz. You know, I mean, little touches like that. And, you know, we referenced uh, Bruce Lee. We should uh, give credit to the actor. Uh, Mike Moe is his name. Yeah, M-O-H. I think a he great, did, a, he did a tremendous job yeah. as uh, as Bruce Lee. And I think his, his daughter's, you know, a little upset about it because people in this day and age tend to take uh, fiction as a reality on Unfortunately, I think people believe a lot. at, At some point, maybe in the very near future, there will be a high school report submitted about the 60s that references the fact <laughs> that Sharon Tate was not murdered oh, right. thanks to the work of Cliff Booth. <laughs> you know? And and they just, they'll be like, what? I saw it. It yeah, was yeah, a movie. I saw it in the movie. <laughs> totally happened. I know like, that was Brad flame, Pitt. Flamethrowers. <laughs> yeah. That's how it happened. Flamethrowers. <laughs> flame which was epic, by the way. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. And, was... and again, those are the sort of things, not the flamethrower being used at the end, but his movie, the, 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 14, I forget what the title of the movie was. The movie that he did, though, where he, you know, flamethrows a bunch of Nazis. We didn't need to see that much of it. Bastards? No, 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 no. Oh. In this movie. Oh, oh, of yeah, course, Inglourious Bastards. Okay. But Rick Dalton's Nazi movie, right, yeah. whatever it was called. <laughs> 
that we didn't need that much footage from it. We didn't need that much footage from Lancer. But I'm sitting there with my friend. I'm like, I'm just enjoying this. This is great. Like, they want to give me another hour and 20 minutes? Please, yes, I will watch it. We will always forever yeah. enjoy watching Nazis. But then here's, that's the beauty, though. You know? When there's the four-hour version, we can come back and we can talk about the rest of the history Yeah, in maybe in that four-hour version, he wrote a, a female character that has a very well-developed, I don't know. I mean, we'll maybe, see. but you've seen his movies, so, yeah. you know, maybe not. Uh, not. So, does this rank... Look, this is Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie, and this will be our final point before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. Where does this rank for you? Is it is it one of your... What are your top three favorites? Do you think this is this is one of those? Um, actually, I think Inglorious Bastards is my favorite of okay. his. I also uh, love Pulp Fiction. Sure. Um, I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs. Oh, my goodness. I it, need to. It, yeah, you definitely know, do. It's a, it's a great film, and I saw that in the theaters, Reservoir Dog, but not when... No, Reservoir Dogs, not when it was first out. It was like right before Pulp Fiction came out, there was all this buzz about it, so they put Reservoir Dogs back in like select cities with like an extended trailer, and I saw it, and I was like, oh my god, how did I know? And that's the way that people tend to define Reservoir Dogs, mostly on home video or later release, just like, how did I not know about this movie? Uh, And it's great, and I think because it's his first, it still edges out Pulp Fiction a little bit. Pulp Fiction, look, it might be better. I couldn't believe that movie the first time I saw it, though. And, uh, you know, for me, I would actually put Hateful Eight as number three. I loved the extended really? seventy millimeter cut of that movie, wow. and yeah, and I that's forgot enough. about that movie. I was like, Meh. <laughs> well, you forgot about how great it was too. So that's probably my third favorite. But I look, I love this movie. Django. I actually really enjoyed Django. Django's great too. Um, yeah, I, don't, I know a lot of people didn't like. I I liked it. No, I, I thought Django time. was great. I, I think it, you know some of it's a little. It can be a little bit uncomfortable, but I think that's the point of the story. Right. So I think it's all right. And you can you can credit Jamie Foxx. You can credit Leo. But uh, for me, Sam Jackson stole that movie. Oh, Just as that terrible character. He was so good. It was great. Anyway, let us know uh, what you think about about this show that we yeah. did. Do you want to see more historical anatomy of a movie? That's the beauty of you know so many movies are set in other time periods that uh, we could probably do this somewhat regularly. And maybe you'll see Alexa and I. Maybe, maybe. you'll see other people. Maybe not. We don't know. Let us know what you thought of this show. And if there's any other history that uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about, please leave that in the comments on YouTube or if you're watching uh, or if you're listening on iTunes, you can uh, put some comments in there. And if you're commenting on iTunes, please give us that all-important five-star rating. Woo-hoo. That is all the time we have for today. But mm-hmm. We really appreciate everybody who joined us. Alexa, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Alexa Cappy, C-A-P-P-Y. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ooh. Christian DMZ. And if you're watching this and it's somewhere around August 9th and before Monday, August 12th, you can see Alexa and I over on AfterBuzz TV Legion. for the series finale, finale of Legion. That'll be Monday at 9 p.m. Pacific over on AfterBuzz TV. Please check that out. Anyway, thanks so much to everyone, and uh, we hope to see you soon at Thank the movies, you. as they say. See you at the Bye. movies. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.